Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. Thank you for streaming this message. I believe this message will encourage you, it will inspire you, and it'll help you live the supernatural lifestyle of faith. We want you to live this supernatural lifestyle of faith, not have supernatural moments, but have it as a lifestyle. So we put all of this content out for you to receive so you can grow and live the life that Jesus made available for you. To find more information about our ministry and our resources, you can visit us at FCCGA.com or you can download our Faith Plus app. Our Faith Plus app has thousands of hours of faith building content and it's available in your app store right now. Open your heart. God's going to share something special to you through this message. So that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And so we talked about in 1 John, one of the key words of the word fellowship. Say the word fellowship out loud, put in the chat. One of the key words is fellowship. Go ahead and type in fellowship if you're watching a place where you can put in the chat. So one of the key words here is fellowship. And we said this word fellowship means partnership, joint participation, intimate friendship. This word fellowship means partnership, joint participation, and intimate friendship. So we said John is right an invitation for partnership, not just partnership with him, but partnership with God. God wants to partner with you in your everyday life. And so I'm going to read 1 John 1, 3 from the Amplified Classic Edition. And notice what it says here. What we have seen and ourselves heard, we're also telling you so that you may, you may realize and enjoy fellowship as partners and partakers with us. And this fellowship that we have, which is a distinguishing mark of Christians, is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. So one of the things we talked about in the writing of 1 John, last week we looked at one of the, some of the reasons why John wrote this epistle. But a couple of weeks before that, we talked about one of the unique styles John has in writing this letter, amplification, where he'll say one thing in one chapter and come back to it, amplify the next chapter. And so it's almost like a circular pattern. And we're going to see John's going to reach back to this word fellowship with one of the ideas he covers in chapter two. So let's look at 1 John chapter two, verse one. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. It says, my little children. Now, one of the things we said about this phrase, my little children, what you see here is, remember, John is John the Apostle, John the Age. He is, he is in his 90s by this point. Most scholars believe he's in his 90s. He is the last remaining of the original apostles. He's part of that first generation of Christianity, not just those who were saved in the book of Acts, but those who walked with And so he is the elder. In fact, in 2 John, 3 John, he refers to himself as the elder. So he is the elder. And so he's getting to these churches that most likely these are churches in modern day Turkey. And this is, of course, he's lived outside of Ephesus, but he also has oversight and authority over all the churches in the region. And he's writing to them and he says, my little children. So what he's about comes from the heart of a spiritual father. Looking at these believers as his spiritual kids, he says, my little children, listen to this as the heart of a father. These things I write you that you may not sin, or in the King James, that you sin not. So he says, kids, I'm writing this to you so that you don't sin. Anyone sins, remember we already talked about 1 John 1, 9. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all wrong. And we talk about what those last few verses of chapter one means last week. But he says, if anyone sins, 
we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous or Jesus Christ the just. So one of the words we're going to look at tonight is the word advocate. So go ahead and say the word advocate out loud or put in the chat, say advocate. This is a word, advocate. And we have sometimes we just robust. This is Bible study. We have to see what does this word advocate mean and how does it relate to our life? This word advocate is like an attorney or a lawyer. It's one who argues the case of another. It's one who pleads another's cause. It's one who helps another by defending or speaking in their defense. This word advocate is one who argues the case of another, one who pleads another's cause, one who helps another by defending or speaking in their defense. Once again, remember my notes on the Bible app as well as the Faith Plus app as well. But this word advocate means one who argues the case of another, one who others calls, one who helps another by defending or speaking in their defense. And so we see Jesus is our cause. Jesus is arguing our case. Jesus is helping us as our defense attorney. So notice we're in this, John used a legal example to picture per se, a courtroom in heaven and says, we have an advocate with the father. We have someone who's always arguing our case. All Lord, yes, he's our savior, but he's also our advocate. Jesus is our advocate. And it's important to understand with where we're going. Jesus, our advocate, and that Paul wrote about. So let's go to Romans chapter 8, verse 31. Let's look at it from different light so we understand the importance of Jesus being our advocate. Romans chapter 8, look at verse Romans chapter 8, looking at Romans chapter 8, looking at verse 1. Notice what it says here. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. So if that's the case, who is he that? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Now let's go to Hebrews chapter 7, verse 24. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 24. Let's look what's here. Hebrews 7, verse 24. It says, but he, because he continues forever, speaking of Jesus, unchangeable priesthood, because we know Jesus is our high priest. Hebrews 3, 1 covers that. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who have come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So our advocate, our high priest, is always making intercession for us. Let's look at another aspect of this advocacy that Jesus has on our behalf. Go with me to Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. And this is what it says here in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4.
And we know 1 Timothy chapter 2 tells us the reasons why we should pray for those who are in authority. But it also tells us why we should pray for the those in authority. Because God desires that all men to be saved, verse 4, to come into the knowledge of the truth. Well, when we understand that, what is the truth? The truth for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And so another aspect of this advocate ministry is that we have a mediator. And of course, there's one who goes in between. One of the things people always bring up is the book of Job. And they talk about Job chapter one, chapter two. After all hell broke Luke and, and all hell broke life, that there was this people have philosophical debates today because of what was revealed in Job chapter one and two. But if you were Job, you wouldn't know about what was going on up there. You were just thinking all hell broke loose in your life. And so when we look at Job chapter one and chapter two, we see Satan. Remember that name Satan means the adversary. He is the accuser of the brethren, says the accuser of the brethren, says in the book of Revelation. And so he goes before God accusing Job. Now understand the book of Job is about a time before the law. So the law wasn't ever given yet. This is a time before Moses. Most scholars believe is the time of the patriarchs. So it's what's called in some of the Hebrew sages, the time of chaos is a time before the law. So it's definitely, it's even before the old covenant. It's not doing our new covenant. And remember, we have a new covenant based on better promises. And so a lot of people like to go back to that time, but you have to understand that Job is not our example. Jesus is. So go ahead and put that in the chat. There's something important to always remember. Say, Job is not our example. Jesus is. Come on, say it out loud. Put it in the chat. Job is not our example. Jesus is. Job is not our example. Jesus is. And so even when we look at Job and we see Satan accusing him, things happen. It's not God who did One of the times Satan said uh, about all these list of things, look, what he has is already in your hands. And so we've talked on this before, how Satan got his hands on what Job had. And we cover that in this uh, series called Passing the Test of Life. And that's on our YouTube channel as well as our podcast. You can look at, look at that at a later date. Job is not our example. Jesus is. But something that Job said, because even despite all his pain, he did have wisdom. And the thing is, Job is one of the wisdom books. You have Job and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes are some of the things known as the wisdom books, the poetry book, including Psalms. And so these are books of wisdom. And so what you have between Job and his three friends, the fourth friend speaks at the end, is this discussion. And a lot of it's wisdom, but it's not always applicable because they're trying to figure out why this happened. They said, well, Job, you must have did this. You must have did this. And Job said, I didn't do anything wrong. I'm perfect. And they're going back and forth, back and forth for several, several, several chapters. But one of the things we understand that there is some wisdom we've seen about Job. Because when you read these wisdom books with their wisdom of the ancients, they had understanding about what was needed. Like when you read the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon saw the need for a comforter. He saw why we needed the whole way back then. And you read Ecclesiastes, you see why he saw that. But when he read Job, Job saw, saw that he needed something that we have. Job 9.33 says, No any mediator between us who may lay his hand on us both. Let him take his rod away from me and do not dread of him terrify me. Then I would speak and not fear him, but is not so with me. So one of the things we review, see here, Job thought God was behind all these things. And Job was afraid. Now, we know he didn't sin, he didn't curse God and die as his wife told him to. He wouldn't 
reject God, but he thought God was behind it and he was afraid to talk with God. But Job said, if only I had a mediator, the King James says a daysman, but this word mediator here is, um, in Hebrew is the same word that is equivalent to mediator in 1 Timothy 2 said, if I had a mediator who could go between us, I wouldn't be afraid to talk with God. Now, one of the things we understand from the new covenant, we know God's not out to get us. God's not out to get us. He loves us. He's out to bless us. He is good. His mercy endures forever. We know things we didn't know. And we also have something that Job didn't have. We have a mediator. Say, I have a mediator. Go ahead, say it out loud, put it in the chat. Say, I have a mediator. We have something Job didn't have. We have an advocate. We have a mediator. We have a high priest. Jesus is our mediator. He is our go-between. Notice Job said, if I had a mediator, I could talk to God. Afraid. The thing is, you have a mediator. You can talk to God at any time. You don't have to be afraid because you have a mediator. And now you understand God's not out to get you. First John 1, 9, as we said before, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So when you mess up, you don't run from God. You run him because you have an advocate who is always leading your case between a holy and just God. But the thing is, yes, he's a holy and just God. He's the judge of all the earth. He is just, but he's also, and he's also your father. Remember what Jesus said when he said, he says, I'm going to go before your God and my God, your father and my father. And so you're ju the judge, your judge is your father and your big brother is your advocate. He is your mediator. So we have an understanding that Job didn't have. And so what John is writing, he says, hey, if you mess up, he says, my little children, I'm not telling you to sin. I'm writing you these things so that you don't sin. But if you sin, I want you to know that you have an advocate. You have someone who's pleading your case. You have someone who's standing by to help you. You have somebody who's with you. He is Jesus Christ, the righteous or Jesus Christ, the just. He is the just one. So the just one who got everything right, the just one who was perfect, the just one who never missed it, pleads your case every single time. So when you mess up, you go before God. You say, what I did is wrong. I ask that you forgive me. And your advocate is speaking on your behalf. And that's great news. It's one of the beautiful things about our new covenant. Now let's go back to first John. And this time look at verse two. And it says, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the whole. The word propitiation means atoning sacrifice. The word means atoning sacrifice. So it says Jesus is our sacrifice. Day of Atonement, where they offer sacrifices that rep that took upon the sins of the people. Remember, there was even a sacrifice when the high priest took the goat, laid his hands on the goat. There was a goat that was sacrificed. There was a goat that was released into the wilderness. All these things were symbolic, pointing to Jesus and what he would do for us. And so when we understand that, he's our atoning sacrifice. A simple way to say it in today's language is Jesus took our place. Jesus took our place. I'll put it in the chat, say, Jesus took my place. Come on, say it out loud and put it in the chat, say, Jesus took my place. One more time, say it out loud and put it in the chat, say, Jesus took my 
place. That's what it means to have intact. He took our place and he offered us sacrifice in our place. If someone offers a sacrifice in your place, you don't have to make the sacrifice. And we know Jesus is our sacrifice. He is our propitiation. He paid the price so we wouldn't have to pay it. He died the death so we wouldn't have to die it. He suffered the way he suffered so we wouldn't have to suffer. He paid the price for us. He took our place. And because of that, we were made righteous with God because we received the gift. But I want you to notice something, that he didn't just say he's a propitiation for us good church people. Propitiation people. He said he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the whole world, everybody. Jesus is the propitiation for everybody. He is the atoning sacrifice for everybody. He took everybody's place. Now, this echoes something that John wrote in John chapter one. So go with me to John chapter one, the gospel of John, John chapter one. And if you're following along with us on our Faith Plus reading plan, we started today reading the book of John. So if you didn't read John chapter one today, you can do so before you go to bed. We're going to read through the book of John this month as well as begin to go into later on. You'll see it in the newsletter today, our plan leading up to Resurrection Sunday. And so we're looking at John chapter one, verse 29. Notice what it says here. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so in the previous day, you see that John was preaching about Jesus. Jesus is coming. This is what he's going to do. This is what he's called to do. This, And he's preaching about Jesus. So the next day, Jesus walks by and John stops what he's doing. He says, behold, or look, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the entire planet. He took he, he's, that's who he is. He is the lamb. Remember, lamb was a sacrifice. So one of the things that John the Baptist preached is that Jesus was a sacrifice. Take away the sins. So this is what he preached. But he also preached that Jesus is the one who baptizes in the Holy Ghost. So John's ministry at this time, he's preaching about what Jesus would do. So let that sink in because that goes against a lot of religion, a lot of religious thinking. That Jesus is the atoning sacrifice of propitiation for our sins and the sins of the world. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the whole world. You know, there's an old religious saying, well, you go to hell for drinking just like you would for smoking or sleeping around, all the different things. That's actually not true. There's a hell. And people die and go there all the time. So I'm not saying there's not hell. I'm not saying people don't go, don't go to hell. But people don't go to hell for all the list of sins you can think of. One thing that sends people to hell, you hear me say it all. There's only one thing that sends people to hell that's rejecting Jesus. That's one thing. Because you say, oh, how could a loving God send people to hell? Yeah, a loving God did send someone to hell. He sent Jesus. He sent Jesus so you wouldn't have to go. One thing that sends people to hell that's rejecting Jesus and not making a decision for him is the same as rejecting him. Because remember, salvation is a gift. You can't force a gift on someone, they have to receive it. And so Jesus, the propitiation, the advocate, paid the price for our sins and the sins of the entire world. And that is wonderful, wonderful, wonderful news.
Notice what it says next in verse 3. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. Now, by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Notice the statement. Now, by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. The Amplified Classic Edition says it this way. And this is how we may discern daily by experience that we are coming to know him recognize understand and become better acquainted with him if we keep bear in mind observe his teachings precepts commandments and so remember john amplified echoes what he shared before and remember the key word chapter one is fellowship and so when he's talking about fellowship or intimate friendship and partnership and he says the word no this is not saying oh i know about jesus i met jesus it's saying that I'm close with Jesus. I know him. Like, I, I know him, know him. Like, I didn't see him 10 years ago, but we're close. And remember, John said, if there are people, well, let's just go read it. Verse 6. First John 1, verse 6. So if we say that we have fellowship or intimate friendship, a partnership with him, and walk or live in darkness, we are lying and we do not practice the truth. So just like John says, says, hey, if you're saying you're close with God, but you're living in darkness, I'm saying that you made a mistake. I'm not saying you got you tripped up into something. This is your practice. You're practicing sin. And so you can get better at it. If you do, you don't. But those who know him, here's how you know if, if you know him. You do what he says. Remember, Jesus even said in the Gospel of John, maybe we'll look at it next time, that if he says, if you love me, do what I say, or if you love me, keep my commandments. And so John is saying here, here's how you know people who really know God. They live according to You can't say Jesus, disobey his word all day long. I'm not saying it's an area that you mess up an area you're confused about, or you just make a mistake, or you just fell short. I'm not talking about that. But if you have a lifestyle, not doing anything close to what he said, you don't know you don't have an intimate friendship with him. A lot of people, you know, remember that song we were singing in the 90s that Israel Houghton wrote? It's a great song. I am a friend of God. It's a great revelation. But there's some people who can sing the song, but really aren't his friend. They, hey, if you're friends with me, actually do what I say. Live according to my word. Live according to what I said. And John, when you go on first, John, he's going to define what are these commandments. Because he's not talking about the 613 of the Old Covenant. He's talking about the commandments Jesus gave us to live by under the new covenant. And so he says, if you're close with God, here's how you know. If someone really has a good friendship with God, they do what he says. They live according to his word. Notice what it keeps on going to say. And we're close here. Verse 4. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him those who say that they know him they're close with him they're tight with him but they don't do what he says john says he's lying and the truth is not in him whoever keeps his word truly the love of perfected and matured or grown up in him so he's a little bit deeper than just list Okay, I did that, that, I did that, I did that, I did that. It's more than that. Because if you're keeping his commandments, something else is happening in you. The love of God is perfected, matured, grown up, 
that person. So it's more than just following commandments. Leading us into something that is deeper than most of us may have thought about following the commands of Jesus. Because not only keeping a list, it's a change in our heart. It's a change on the inside where the love of God is perfected, completed, matured in us. He goes on and says, by this we know that we are in him. And one of the things you see, especially in the writings of Paul, but you also see in the writings of John, the wonderful benefits of being in Christ. And if you ever want to have a study of who you really are, go through the New Testament and highlight on your app or however, on your physical Bible, where it's in him, in whom, or in Christ. And you see all these wonderful things that belong to you for being in Christ. which echoes John 15, which we'll probably get into next week. And it says, he who says he abides in him, which is what John 15 is all about. When Jesus sharing with them before he goes to the cross, talking about abiding him or remaining connected to him. By this, we know we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. In him, abiding in him, vitally connected to him. If we say we abide in him or we're vitally connected to him. So remember, he's amplifying. He's gone from the word fellowship to the word knowing to this word of abiding and being in him. He's developing this topic and circling it and amplifying and showing what's possible in this Christian walk. And he says, if you really abide in him, live like he lived. And now we can say, well, yes, be holy like he was holy. Yes, that's included. Scripture says, be holy as I'm holy. But also it's more than that. It's supernatural. It's an intimate friendship with God. It's walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's walking in the love of God. It's walking victory over the enemy. If you know him, if you abide in him, then you should live as Jesus lived. And you might say, well, that's a tall order. How can anybody do that? Well, apparently, if the Holy Ghost inspired John to write this, then you can do it. Go ahead and put it in the chat as we go. Say, I can do it. Put it in the chat and say out loud, say, I can do it. Because if the scripture says that you can do it, then you can do it. The apostle John said by the Holy Ghost that you can live as Jesus lived. And the key is doing what he said. And the key is understanding what he's going to share. And so we'll get into it next week as we dive into more. Well, what does it mean to abide in him? Echoing something in John 15, if you want to see oh, ooh, what he's going to talk about. We'll go read John 15 tonight. And you'll understand some of the things that Jesus said about abiding in him, remaining connected with him, being in union with him. It's important. And it's the key to living the supernatural lifestyle of faith. Thank you for streaming this message. I believe it encourages you and is to help you make Jesus famous in your everyday life. We would love to be, stay connected with you. So subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, 
Spotify, our YouTube channel, download our Faith Plus app, and visit us at FCCGA.com to learn more about our ministry. If you would like to support our ministry financially, you can also do so by our website at FCCGA.com or by texting FCCGA to 73256. If you would like to submit a prayer request, you can do so at our website as well. We would love to agree with you in faith, and we know you'll receive an answer according to the Word of God. Once again, thank you for streaming this message. And remember, God has a great plan for your life and something good is going to happen to you today. So expect miracles. God bless.